iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I think you could get another cat. And I think if you got another cat, then maybe your Dora would start to behave a bit better. Well... Um, by the way, hello, everybody. Hello. <laughs> yes. Hello, Fee. Hello. Uh, this is off air. I'm just, I'm pondering it. Um, but she's been very naughty this week. She has taken against um, anything with flowers in it. Now, I like flowers. And I like to fill my house with flowers. Uh, no, I just like to have a couple, of, a couple of vases on the go. But she just tips them all over. I came back last night and I was a little tipsy. And there were just upturned vases, two oh, of them. She's just evil. I don't know. She's, she's like she's, the cat possessed. She's nasty. Truly dreadful at times. Yeah. Yeah, so said. I think if you've got a, another cat, mm. and especially because you, you're feeling sorry for the flat-faced cats, Well, they've you? been in the news today. Yeah, and they do look, they look a bit... And nobody tough. wants them because they look like they've just run up against a well, wall. Well, no, the problem with the flat-faced cats is people did want them, and then they, the poor things, because they're bred in a particular way, you know what's coming. They end up with really difficult health conditions that are really expensive to treat. Yeah. And then they get dumped, the poor things, and then people don't want them from the animal centres. Well, I think you should take some in. I think it'd be good for all parties don't, don't involved. Don't say some, please. Yeah, go no, on. No, you're heaping, go on. heaping pressure upon go on. me. Now listen. Go on, right. go on, go on. Now, last night, Fee and I went to a very important corporate event. Very important. Uh, during which Fee made a faux pas and I <laughs> fell off a chair. So it was quite the evening, and I think we do you think we made a good impression all in all? <laughs> so, so we were sitting on these, so it was a corporate event, and it was at a really amazingly lovely London oh, restaurant. It was, it was a very, very fine selection of London's finest uh, advertorial people. And we were just doing a bit of a talky thing with Henry Bonso and Hugo Rifkin before we sat down to dinner. And you and I walked in, we saw the bar stools, and I know that both of us thought, please, dear God, not Do those. It is. It's, it is, it's a quandary for the shorter lady. But first of all, will I get onto the yeah. bar stool? No, very much so. And then secondly, how will I get off? Very much so. And unfortunately, I went off it <laughs> a bit too soon. sooner than expected. <laughs> so there was a, a lovely woman there uh, from Boots and uh, Henry made a comment about uh, the Advantage card. <laughs> Dear listener... <laughs> Jane, like she was going down, like she was going down, uh, 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 what they call it, the bobsleigh. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit like the luge. Feet first more like the luge. <laughs> towards this woman. I just wanted to thank she, her for the advantage card. As if she had the last advantage card in the world <laughs> and somebody might be getting there before you. So it was quite funny. But I mean, you, you, I think you rectified yourself very quickly. You were helped back onto the store. Right, that's it. <laughs> Anyway, that was last night. I know. And then mistakenly, uh, at the end of the evening, uh, in, instead of just saying, 
you know, just waving at our enormous great big boss across the room. <laughs> I decided for some reason, blow me kiss. Oh, God. <laughs> Anyway, as you can tell, um, we, we're not certain how much longer we'll be kept in employment here, uh, but it's been fun while it lasted. Now, uh, content is everything, and we have started this new thread, Famous People in Toilets. Uh, this is from Kay, who's in New Zealand. As a cadet radio broadcaster aged 23, it was 1986, I bumped into the actress Prunella Scales on the stairs of a Christchurch New Zealand radio station on my way back from the loo to my desk. She asked me where the toilets were and I led her back to them. It was a confusing building with multiple staircases. She thanked me and was just lovely. I was so starstruck and stunned to see her there as I wasn't aware she was in New Zealand for a play nor that she was being interviewed that day by one of our station's senior hosts. In common with you two, Miss Scales has talent, humour and is a class act but gets extra points from me for coming all the way to New Zealand to satisfy her fans with a show. Hint, hint. Uh, cheers, she says, and as an aside, I hope your theme on meeting famous people in or near toilets doesn't tip into dodgy territory. There are quite, <laughs> there are quite a few famous folk out there who would rather forget some of their ablutory, ablutory aberrations. Oh, never heard that word. You've got to way with the English language all the way over there in NZ, Kate. <laughs> That was absolutely terrible and I'd can like I, to apologise. Can I apologise on behalf of my friend there? Uh, somebody has taken issue with uh, you being so rude about Uckfield. Oh, yeah, Helen says, since moving with my husband from West Oxfordshire, a.k.a. the celebrity hotspot, to Uckfield, a place we'd never heard of before our property search, both Uckfield and Sussex have knocked our socks off. We live within walking distance of the high street on the hill, which, to name but a few, has a thriving coffee shop culture, a wonderful independent picture house, bistro restaurant and lovely. bar. Oh, gosh. A lovely modern library and a number of great independent retailers, as well as the usual suspects, including Waitrose, so you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. The town is well connected with a direct rail service to London Bridge, so you could get straight to work here. Regular bus services to Brighton and Tunbridge Wells. All right, it's got a tiled splashback. It goes on and on and on. And then there's the stunning South Downs and Coast. But actually, Helen makes a good point um, that the community here, she says, has been very friendly, warm and welcoming. And as we previously lived in a very small rural village, we anticipated this might be different. However, we have a lovely group of new friends, something that's not always easy to build at our time of life when friendship circles are long established. And also much to the amusement of our daughters who live in the metropolises of London and Brighton, strangers actually acknowledge you here. Uh, and I think that's such a good point because uh, I would imagine that that is very difficult when I think they're a um, little tiny weeny bit older than us. Uh, you know, if you tip up in a place, then some of those friendship groups have been going for decades. Oh, yeah, yeah. They've seen kids all the way through schools. They've nursed each other, all that kind of stuff. So to go to a place that's very welcoming and wants new friends in, in a group is fantastic. Sounds absolutely brilliant. Does sound very nice yeah. indeed. Uh, more, Yet more news from New Zealand from Pam. I was out on my morning walk listening to your email special yesterday uh, when I heard some panicked peeping. It turned out that six ducklings had fallen down a drain while the mother hovered anxiously beside it, looking at me pointedly. So I hauled the cover open, saw I couldn't do it alone, and got help from some people nearby. They had exactly what was needed and scooped all the ducklings out in just three goes. What a success. The family waddled away, the people went to fetch mesh to prevent it happening again, and I continued on my walk listening to you. 
Well, it's that sort of life-enhancing content that we're after, isn't it? It is, yeah. Pamela is an award-winning freelance travel writer since 2009. That's quite a good innings. Yeah, Not it is bad. A good innings. Yeah. Thank you. Um, now, this one is important because it comes from the original listener who sent us the email worried about her daughter's weight. Uh, it was very difficult to hear my original email being read on air as it was the first time my thoughts had been uttered. I'm sorry, there's a weird thing going on there in the way that it's been printed out. Apologies. Uh, with much trepidation that I listened to the email special, knowing that you were going to cover the topic, I had already come to the conclusion that I needed to reframe my thoughts and concentrate on the brilliant things about her, of which there are many. And to the emailer who referenced that I hadn't mentioned love in my original email, I can reassure her I do love her very much. And the last thing I would ever want to do is to cause her any ongoing issues. But we never doubted that, did no, we? we? No, we never doubted that at all. The emailer who spoke about wanting to protect her daughter from the unkindness she had experienced really encapsulated where my motivation for thinking I needed to address the issue came from. As Jane did mention in the podcast, looks do matter. And as I learned to change my own thought patterns, my ask, which is a big one, is that society also stops judging and worshipping the what we all know as unreal Instagram version of beauty. We as women must lead this. And I totally agree with you. And do you know what? I did think that after after our email special mm. yesterday um that it's really brave and it, our podcast really thrives on people sending very honest accounts of what's going on in their head and mm. their dilemmas and i'm sure it is with trepidation that you then listen to other people's responses yes, and imagine. perhaps that sounds quite harsh when people dive in and offer lots of advice. Um, but I think it always comes from a well-meaning place. I think you started a really fantastic conversation, actually, that allowed people uh, to talk on both sides of that parental and, what do you call it, childhood fence. Mm. You know, so the other daughter's experiences of parents, you know, who's one whose father had been critical about her. It's just so important to hear all of that. So Jane and I... We hear you. I'm I'm sure it was a difficult listen, so I suppose our apologies as well. Yes. If it felt a little bit bruising, because none of the emails sent to us would ever want to do that. No, absolutely not. And I, I feel immense sympathy with our original emailer. I think, um, and I suspect a lot of others have been in very, very similar situations. Now, we did feature on the radio show on Times Radio today a conversation with Paula Chadwick of the Roy Castle Lung Cancer Charity. And this was because it is Lung Cancer Awareness Week and it was also in response to the emails we've had at the podcast about lung cancer. And it is just worth saying, rather bluntly, but it is worth saying that lung cancer does kill more women than breast cancer. And you don't often hear that. Um, it's, a, it's a statistic that is... Um, not repeated probably as often as it should be. And I'm not in any way underestimating the terrible, um, terrible breast cancer cases that I've had in my own life. I I've understand that it's a horrible thing to go through. But perhaps we do need to talk more about the symptoms of lung cancer. And Paula was very clear, wasn't she, about the symptoms that you do need to do something about if you've had them. Yeah. And they are, let's try and do this together, a persistent cough for really? longer than three weeks. Longer than three weeks, yeah. Uh, obviously, if you cough up blood, do something about it. If you experience sudden weight loss and fatigue like you've never had fatigue before. And then there was pain in, in your, your chest and particularly in your shoulder. Right. And you can be any age. Yep. 
you don't need to be you don't need to have been a smoker so forget that um so please please don't assume that if you've never smoked a fag in your life um, you won't get lung cancer because mm. it's just not true. And also she was so hopeful about some of the treatments. Really hopeful. You can have keyhole surgery and actually be in and out in a day yeah. uh, if your cancer is caught early enough. But she did say that so many young people uh, are dismissing their symptoms and you know not, not actually presenting to a doctor until they've got stage four cancers because you think, oh, I've got a chest infection, I've pulled a muscle in my shoulder... Uh, you know, I've I've had a bit of a bug, I've lost the weight. You know, they're not putting these things together mm. and thinking this could be lung cancer. I was flabbergasted by that statistic about it being more prevalent than breast and cervical cancer. Well, I suppose, I mean, as Paula did go on to explain, it's because um, people have got the message about breast cancer, haven't they? You you know, you, you examine your breasts, you make sure you don't have a lump. If you do feel a lump, are you trying, you, you will are inclined, more inclined than in the past perhaps to do something about it, because again, the treatment there has improved. But a lump is something tangible, whereas with lung cancer, I suspect the symptoms are possibly a little too easy to dismiss. Yep. And yeah, you shouldn't you don't, do it. Just you don't, don't connect do it. them. Yeah. No. Uh, so I hope that's helpful. So if people want to go back and listen to that, you can do that on the Times app. You just uh, you log in and uh, you can go to Times Radio and pick today's show and then you can listen back to it. It's just about 10 minutes to five we started that interview. And actually you could do that with a really interesting piece that we did with Jamal Kerens talking about IVF. Yeah. So Jamal Kerens is the associate editor of the Saturday Times magazine. She comes on our programme every Thursday. Thursday uh, to talk about what's in the magazine and this week it's a really brilliant piece where she describes her own journey through IVF and out the other side without a baby and how that has made her feel and it's interesting because you might think you've read that kind of article before but I absolutely guarantee that you haven't uh, and it definitely flagged up some interest amongst our listeners. Uh, this one comes in from Juliet from Brisbane, who says, Jane has a really insightful and very special first-person article today. Uh, could you please pass on my congratulations to her for such a wonderful read? My multiple IVF adventures resulted in one child, now 13, but you don't often read much about when it doesn't all work out. And she then says, please, please do consider taking the podcast on the road. We'd love to see you in Oz, but I do think the flight would be no fun for Jane. She's not just here to have fun. And then <laughs> no. Julia says in brackets, Jane does seem to be nicer to fee these days. Yes. Money has changed. <laughs> Julia, HR's been in contact. Uh, we're much better now. Oh, you just <laughs> you just reminded me, actually. I've written HRT on my hand. You mentioned... So, that HR reminded me of it. Yeah, you know they're different departments. <laughs> Have I been getting my tablets from the wrong department? <laughs> it would explain a lot, especially to Julia. Our guest today was a filmmaker and the author of a best-selling prison memoir called A Bit of a Stretch. His name is Chris Atkins and he got five years in prison for tax fraud back in 2016. He ended up serving two and a half years. He's now written a sequel called Time After Time about life after jail and asked some pretty awkward questions in that book about why so many ex-offenders end up back behind bars. We started the conversation by asking Chris to tell us about why he did end up in prison. So yeah, I, I, was, I was a reasonably successful documentary maker and I foolishly used A as sort of a slightly uh, naughty tax scheme uh, to 
uh, get some money for a film I was making. And it was the kind of thing that was sort of quite popular back in sort of the 2000s, lots of celebrities. The Times famously exposed Jimmy Carr for sort of investing in one of these things. Mm. Um, and it was it was foolish and we got the money to make a film and then years later, HMRC came and prosecuted everyone involved. And it was, the, the, the exact offence was conspiracy to cheat the public revenue. Right, OK. And you got what would actually seem to many of us to be a long sentence. Mm. Five years for that, doing yes. two and a half in the end, does, I think, will strike a lot of people as pretty harsh. It struck me as pretty harsh. And uh, though, oddly, <laughs> well. at the time, it, 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 it's kind of bonkers that they were trying to actually send me away for longer. And I, I've subsequently learned that sort of judges and prosecutors do this. They kind of really dial up the figures to scare the willies out of you, basically. Mm. And so when you land up with five, you think you've actually got off quite, <laughs> quite likely. likely. Yeah. So they, they they always sort of start high and then come down, maybe so you don't complain quite so much. I don't, I don't know. So on the actual day I got the sentence, I was oddly relieved because they were gunning for a bit more. So. Right. I mean, I've, I've read a, a bit of a stretch and it was, it was really interesting. But, I mean, I know you'd be the first to agree that it is a white middle-class man's mm. view of this very particular world. Yeah, guilty as charged, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and did you feel that you were writing it on behalf of those who wouldn't have a clue how to write a, a, such an important book? Yeah, I mean, I had sort of straddled two horses, really. I, had, I wanted to be completely honest and just say, look, this is what I saw and this is the experience I had through my eyes. And, it, you know, I was in one cell of 1,500 cells, in one prison out of 100 prisons, you know. So it's very much slanted by my own sort of thoughts and feelings and experiences. But at the same time, I could see that the whole prison system was actually disproportionately unfair and unjust to people from minority backgrounds and to people who were... Uh, who didn't know how to read and write, like 50% of the prison population are functionally Ill Ill illiterate. There's a disproportionately high number of people with mental health problems who are never going to get a book deal. So in my head, I was like, right, it's going to be through my eyes, but at the same time, I'm going to write a lot about these people because actually because they're, they're, they take up most of the system. There's actually very few white-collar people like myself. Right. And in fact, you and your other white-collar... Gangs. Cons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, your gang. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you basically helped the, the prison authorities run the joint... Yeah, I don't want it to come across as too altruistic because initially it was just because that was the only way to get out of my cell was that if you had a job, be it uh, handing out slips or like delivering food or whatever it was, that was the way to not be locked in your cell for 23 hours a day because mm. that's how it starts off. So it was initially just get me out of here. I will do anything to, just so I can stretch my legs and have some human contact and not go mad. Um, so... But then over time, I realised there are actually certain jobs, not many, but there are certain jobs I ended up doing that really did help people. And one of them was the listening. So that's where I became like a Samaritan's volunteer within the prison. So I was trained by the Samaritans. And if other inmates were suicidal or self-harming, they could come and speak to me and we'd get... It wasn't over the phone. You get locked in a room with them. And, and you'd sort of uh, ask them about how their day was and, 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 try and try and convince them not to commit suicide, essentially. So that had, you know, I think was a very sort of helpful thing I did but a lot of it was all pretty banal. But your way of dealing was to write about it. Had you already already decided that this was one another way that you could occupy your mind? Yeah, someone texted me the day in the days before I went in a great quote from Mae West which I'll never forget which was always keep a diary and one day the diary will keep you. Um, and, you know, I was in the literary world-ish. Uh, my, my sort of ex-partner at the time, Lottie Mogark, 
had just written a successful book. Her mother's Deborah Mogark, who's like a huge yeah. best-selling author. You've got connections. I've got connections. And I, so I was aware, I was around people who wrote books. And look, my instinct is a documentary maker. My instinct was to point a camera at everything, but I just didn't have a camera. I had a pen and paper, and even that was difficult to get some days. So it was kind of the only outlet for me to document it was by writing about it. It was kind of, it was kind of obvious to do that to me. What was the biggest problem in Wandsworth? Was it the overcrowding? Was it the poor staff levels? Was it the relatively poor quality of the staff? Because I think a lot of more experienced people had left. Yeah, they? I think a lot of it comes down, it's like you've got hundreds of problems in Wandsworth, but they all kind of funnel from the same place, which is huge funding cuts to the prison system, which were, were instituted by the uh, coalition government. It's, it's fascinating to see the architect of that now just come back into the fold. But yeah, they, they, they took about a billion pounds a year out of the prison budget, which meant they lost about 30% approximately of, of staff. Huge numbers of officers went, but the number of prisoners remained about the same. So this crucial prisoner-to-officer ratio just got stretched and stretched and stretched, where literally all they had time to do was to lock everyone up, count them, and give them some food. Um, so all the things that are supposed to happen in prison to drive rehabilitation... So things like, you know, uh, mental health treatment, um, drug therapies, um, looking at education, employment, all of that sort of thing just hit the floor. So people were literally being warehoused until the day of their release. And that's what sort of shocked me the most, that people were just stuck inside their cells all day, every day, and all their problems were getting worse. How much do you think the general public genuinely cares? Well, I think they oddly... You see, they're oddly fascinated by prison. Oh, they're fascinated. It's, it's a but real do they paradox. Because uh, uh, people always say, oh, can you come and do a prison? You know, prison's really great when they put it on, 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 on media. So I think they care, they, they care for that level in a kind of fascination way. They care to the extent it's a very, very emotive subject. So the public care that bad people are seen to be punished, I think. They don't care by and large in the sense of you know, are, are, are the treatments humane are people being looked after are they being rehabilitated they don't really care about that side and that's sort of why i'm here that's why i kind of campaign for this stuff because i think people should care not least because it, it's about cutting crime if you want to cut crime you need to rehabilitate people yeah and um, that's it's the rehabilitation thing yeah where most people just lose interest and glaze over because what they want is bad people banged up and away away yeah. from us so and i think there's a huge mismatch between the reality and what's presented in the media and there's some really interesting studies done and uh, where people when they talk to people in focus groups like the majority of people in focus groups you know don't think that sentencing has been getting softer this is an amazing thing so mm. you stop someone in the street they all think oh sentences are too soft they've been getting softer where the exact opposite has been happening mm. sentence lengths have been flying up since the Blair government came to power that's why we have so many people in prison ahead of population so it's kind of like the way that people are digesting the subject of prisons and criminal justice through the media is very I know we all say the media distorts things, but it really distorts things when it comes to prisons. So your second book, uh, Time After Time, mm. is about life outside prison, yeah. which often ends up with people back inside. Yeah, exactly. In uh, so when you're discharged, you're given an amount of money, aren't you? Yes. Which is? I think, well, with me, it was £47.50. Funnily enough, I actually, there's someone in my book, Josh, um, who uh, has, he's one of the key chaps in my book, and I went to pick him up two days ago. I actually drove to pick him up at HMP Wayland, and he was given about £80. So it goes up with, with inflation. But even so, that's in today's world, that really isn't going to get you very far. Well, how far is it supposed to get you? I mean, that is that's that is the release grant. You know, that is so you can get yourself some accommodation and something to eat. But as, as we all know, that that, that isn't, is going to stretch you pretty 
pretty thin. Look, the huge majority of prisoners are just chucked out with nowhere to go. Uh, sometimes they're given um, uh, a list of homeless shelters. Sometimes they're literally told where the nearest park is and given a sleeping bag. And that is literally the only support that's available to them. And so many of them, for that very reason, end up back inside almost immediately. Because so the book, Time After Time, is kind of about that. It's yeah. about why so many, why we have this very high rates of reoffending and recidivism. And did you meet many prisoners inside who actually really didn't want to leave prison because they knew that what greeted them outside was so uncertain? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was more, you know, it wasn't your Moriarty's, it wasn't your Ronnie Biggs's, okay? There's very few of those. And I thought when I went to prison, it would be all like that. And there's very, very few of those in there. It's mostly people who don't have um, a family support network, have been through the care system, often excluded from education. Um, and, you know, they're, they're in an adult prison, but it's not their first time behind bars because they cycle through the care system and then the youth offending system. So it's just accepted that this is their way of life. It is, it is accepted to them that this is going to happen. And quite often, especially around about Christmas time, what awaits them outside is worse than inside. And let me tell you, what was inside was dreadful. And so I, I was thinking to myself, God, how bad is your life? And how bad are things for people like you on the outside that actually coming to Wandsworth is preferable? I hated Wandsworth. I don't want to spend any more time there. But people would choose to go there. They'd offend deliberately so they could come in just to get a roof over their heads. Did you spend a Christmas in Wandsworth? I just, did. You did, OK. I did. Yeah, and? yeah, yeah. It, 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 was, it was horrendous. I mean, in some ways... I look back on it with sort of not, maybe not rose-tinted spectacles. But I, I always say, like, prison brings out the best and worst in people. I mean, I saw that a bit in the pandemic. And I remember saying to people at the start of the pandemic, oh, it's almost like deja vu for me. It's like, here we go again. And I said, look, this is going to bring out the best and worst in people. And some people behaved appallingly during the pandemic. Other people were volunteering and, you know, driving people around and, and, and working in food banks and all this wonderful stuff. And I think it was the same in prison that, especially, I remember that over Christmas, I saw officers like working extra hours without pay, going really out of their way just to try and, you know, give people something to eat or to try and bring a bit of joy to people's lives. And also it was a time when, yeah, the, the, the minimal amount of, um, extra activities that happen in the prison all shut down for about two weeks. So the, the bang up, as we call it, i.e. being locked in yourself for long periods, just skyrocketed up. And I found as a listener, my listener call-outs went, went through the roof. There was, right. I, I remember I had a little listener suite. It wasn't a suite. We called it a listener suite, but it was just a, an empty cell where I did my meetings. And I would talk to someone for half an hour, be pretty gruelling. They'd been self-harming or had an episode or something. And then I'd let them out and I'd look out the door and there'd be like a queue of other prisoners like up the wing waiting to see me because everyone was just having the worst possible time. Do you think that you did save lives? Do you know that you did? It's, it, it's really, people often ask me that and it's really, I, I don't take credit for anything I haven't done and it was really difficult to know because the prison was so massive and they were, you were just in this hugely chaotic system. Quite often you wouldn't see people after they'd been to see me mm. and I don't know what happened to them. They just kind of vanish into the into the ether. And you mentioned that you went to pick up um, a friend that you met during the yeah, course yeah. Of, of that period of your life um, only recently. So you have kept up proper friendships with, with these people. Totally. And that's kind of where time after time came about is because I got out and I stayed in very close touch with quite a few people who I met inside for all sorts of reasons. You know, we'd shared a really tough experience together. And I think that that forces you together. And I think people talk about this. It's slightly different. But in, you know, in war zones, people are there for a very short amount of time with other soldiers, and they form a bond for life, right? So I, it, it's, in, you know, we weren't volunteering for our country, we'd done something wrong. But in the same way, the, the stress forced us together. And, and so you, you kind of share that with someone, it stays, it stays very strong to you. So but 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 also, j journalistically, I was meeting all these 
fascinating characters and these wonderfully interesting criminals who've done all these kind of mad things. Or you'd hear what they'd done or you'd read what they'd done. You think, oh my God. Like normally as a journalist, it'd be a nightmare trying to get access to these kind of <laughs> They people. were right in front of you. And they were right in front of me. I couldn't look and leave. They're walking and start whinging at me. So I got I got this extraordinary access to the kind of the criminal underworld. And they didn't see me as a nosy journalist. They I was saw gonna me ask, as there was no resentment there. No, not not really. I think people were just keen that that I wouldn't write about them if they didn't want to be written about or if I was going to write about them or put them in my podcast or book, I'd change their name so I'd always get that kind of clear up front. Quite often they were fine with it. I think they just... Because the, the, the material that was about them in the public domain is their court record. Right, which is normally pretty negative. If you've been convicted of a crime, yeah. they don't they don't both sides it. They don't BBC and go, oh, on the one hand, he was a nice guy and helped little old ladies cross the road, and on the other hand, he robbed a bank. They just talk about the bank robbery. Mm. So in a way, they thought, well, at least I'm probably going to put a more sympathetic take on them in the public domain than is what's out there, because what's out there was pretty grim. So they did, but but by and large, they, they, no, they, they were fine. As, as, I think as long as I sort of, I was honest, really. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. We're talking to Chris Atkins about the sequel to his prison memoir, Time After Time. And Jane asked him what specific issues he would tackle if he was in charge of prison services. Yeah, I, I mean, people always say to me, like, what's the one big issue you'd try and tackle straight away if you, if, if you were sort of in charge? And I'd always say accommodation. Because it, it, it's one of those things where actually just for a little bit of money, it would have a hugely sort of disproportionate and powerful effect, magnified. Um, because, as he was saying earlier, so many cons don't have anywhere to go. They come out, they're homeless, they end up offending, or they end up going to stay with a friend, and guess what? Their friend's a drug dealer, mm. and they're in a house with lots of drugs. Crime happens, they go back. So if you could have some kind of safe housing buffer for, for most people when they leave prison, it would cut crime um, hugely. Because what we have at the moment, as you said, is certain landlords, and I actually went and stayed at some of these properties, who it, I think most landlords won't take people on. 
because if they've got a criminal record. And now people ask for references and they Google them and check them out. So I find a lot of ex-prisoners are just immediately excluded from the housing system. And some of them, when they do get local authority support to stay somewhere, the the landlords, it's an absolute rip-off. And they put them in properties, and I describe it in the book, like worse than Wandsworth. And Wandsworth has been condemned by numerous prison inspectors as being not, not fit for purpose. But it was like a genuinely dangerous house to stay in. And the landlord was charging like way more. I actually went on Rightmove and looked at what sort of bedsits were like in the area. They were charging about double what a normal landlord would charge Just for a Because for they could. Because they could, because no one else would take these people. For some of them, they do get local authority support, but not many. And, and so it's the public that are paying for this. Yeah. And then that is going, and it doesn't go to the offender, it goes straight into the landlord's pro- pocket. And a word, too, on the probation service, which doesn't get a great deal of attention no. until something horrific happens. Something awful happens, And then yeah. everybody piles in. Yeah, and it is almost like, like the shadow service because prisons are very kind of visible and everyone can get prison in their head and it's like you can drive past Wandsworth or Pentonville and they're, they're big, ugly buildings where criminals live. We can kind of get that. But that's only half the, the issue because most prisoners like me are let out halfway through their sentences. The other 50% of their sort of allotted time by the judge is spent being sort of supervised in the community by the probation system. And it's almost like they're not there. There's so little support. They've been hacked back so much, again, by the austerity measures. Um, uh, Chris Grayling, as Justice Secretary, actually privatised the probation system, which was a complete disaster. Uh, and, and all they're really there to do is, is, is catch people out and send them back to prison, which is called uh, recalling them. But because there's so few probation officers, there's so many prisoners under their supervision, the caseloads have shot up. So I talked to probation officers who 10, 15 years ago would have about 30 or 40 offenders on their list, which mm. is hard work, but they can manage it. Now they've got 200 offenders on their list. So all they can do is call them up for five minutes each and say, have you committed any crimes recently? Yeah. No good. Right, see you in a month. And it just means that very, very dangerous offenders, and you know we all know the cases, Zara, Lean, and, and you could list all of them, mm. where... The, the people have been released, very, very dangerous offenders. They clearly weren't uh, safe to be managed in the community. Their probation officer wasn't doing their job properly. And guess what? They went and killed someone as a consequence. And what do you think of, I mean, you've mentioned how popular in Speech Marks prison is. Mm. Uh, prison reality shows banged up on Channel 4, Good Time, Lord. the drama yeah. on BBC One. What do you think of them? I mean, look, time I think is great. Uh, I, I saw the um, first uh, season, if that's what they are, um, uh, with Sean Bean, who yeah. I thought was fantastic, and I thought that really got under the skin of it. Look, I found this this new season really, really hard going for the right reasons. It's an it's exceptionally about a women's time. prison. It's about women's prison, and they really focus on the separation from children, um, which is something that affected me obviously because my son was just he just turned four when I went away. So the scenes where she can't get in contact with her kids and stuff. I found just really heartbreaking, so I couldn't really watch a lot of that. Um, uh, banged up, I had very, very low expectations for. They actually, here's a scoop here, I was asked to go on it three times. I did wonder what, whether they might yeah, have Yeah, uh, they, they, yeah, they did. And, and for all sorts of reasons, one, because the production company doesn't have a brilliant reputation. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, what, like, well, they're not here to defend themselves. They're not here to defend themselves. No, I mean, in terms of, I think they make quite sort of schlocky re- reality shows that, by the way, are probably very, very popular and lots of people love. I just don't happen to like the kind of reality shows because I work in the business myself. Did you also just um, not want to go back into prison? 
Oh, God, there was an element of that. I think they also weren't going to pay me. That was the other... Well, I was, <laughs> I was going to ask things, that because right. the, the, if you haven't seen Banged Up, it's a so-called reality show. It's They have um, involved Oxford It's a rig prison. show. It's a rig show, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, they, yeah. They have, uh, it's a decommissioned prison in Oxford. Yeah, well, I think yeah. it's Oxford. Or Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I think Oxford Prison's a hotel, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and I've stayed there. Um, it involves ex-cons, so-called, who are invited to appear and they are told told they have to behave as, as they, they did, did in prison. In prison. And, and yeah. celebs. And then you celebs. And the celebs as well. So I, I, when I, they called me up, I said, do you want me to be the ex-prisoner or the celeb? And they weren't entirely sure. Um, but yeah, I, 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 anyway, I went in. There's a big but coming here. I went in with very low expectations. And then I watched some of it and I went, actually, I can, I can find time for this. Because it does get across the insanity of prison life. It does get across the kind of the chaos, the instability, the claustrophobia. And there's a scene there where Johnny Mercer is, is in his cell and he's like, I mean, I don't, how, how long am I going to be in here? And the guy with him, the real cons, like hours and hours and hours, you know. So I, I, I thought, actually, this is pretty authentic. I mean, it's never going to be exactly like prison because it's a reality show, but I thought they actually took the time, they got it pretty authentic. And the other reason I give it my seal of approval is uh, I found this and I tweeted this, the, the image of this on Johnny Mercer's bed. It's a copy of... A bit of a stretch. So I think I think to prep for his time in Chokey, someone obviously said to him, you've got to read this amazing book by Chris Atkins. Yeah, so it's there on the bed. So therefore I give it a thumbs up. I'm just profoundly grateful you didn't go on then to describe what had happened in that I'm not going to. You're not Johnny on a family radio station. No, because that was, that, it was at that point I decided reality television had got a little too real. A little real, too real for comfort. And yeah. I turned off to Antiques Roadshow or whatever else was on offer that night. <laughs> Um, so um, I think, Fee, you're interested in the, in the alternative prison systems and where else in the world it might work better. Well, we spend so much time talking about what's wrong with the prison mm. system in this country. Yeah. And uh, when you look at other countries with uh, certainly better recidivism rates, right. yeah, yeah. so you assume that something is happening in prison that's working for those individuals, yeah. the gap between what they're doing and what we're doing is wide, isn't it? It's so, very wide, as is the gap between their reoffending rates. So without wanting to bore too many people with stats that were referencing somewhere like Norway, the reoffending rate in Britain hovers around sort of 45% of people reconvicted re within one year of release, which is astonishingly bad. For people on short sentences, which they might be scrapping, it's over 60% of them are back inside within a year. It's astonishing. You go to somewhere like Norway, it's about 20%. You know, and that all feeds directly into crime. That's fewer knifings, that's fewer stabbings, that's fewer shootings, that's fewer mobile phones being snatched for your cafe table. Mm. So, so, so it, it's worth examining what they're doing that's so different to us that is obviously so effective. So what, what are they doing and how much would it cost us to do it and would we ever be able to afford to? Treat people like human beings. You know, there's the, no votes there, Chris. There's, <laughs> well, there aren't. Are no, there? no, 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 no. Absolutely, it, it, it's just a, it's, it's like a more subtle way of, of of approaching the issue. There isn't bad people done wrong, punish them, which is sort of all the kind of British uh, argument goes through on on a loop. In, in Norway, they say, okay, bad people done wrong. How shall we punish them? Shall we punish them in a way that almost guarantees they come out and commit more crimes, or shall we punish them in a way that means they won't commit more crimes? Guess what? They choose the latter, and it's by having you know windows. It's by having education. It's by having clean um, cells. It's by uh, regular showers. It's by exercise. It's by their food. It's it's not like screwing down the food budget. So they they eat healthily, and it means they come out of prison with qualifications, with degrees. They've been retrained, and look, some of them do reoffend. Just a very very few of them in comparison to the UK. Coming back to your question of cost, it saves money. In it's the saved, end. Saves money in the end because mm. it's less crime. Eight, reoffending costs the, the taxpayer eighteen billion pounds a year 
four out of five crimes in the UK are re-offences. These are the government's own figures. So it, it's, 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 it's responsible for 80% of all crimes. So if you do this human being treatment thing and it works, people come out, you then spending far less money on prisons. You end up closing prisons. That's what some Scandinavian countries have done. There aren't the criminals to put in them. Here we're doing the exact opposite. We're building more prisons. Chris Atkins, and uh, we enjoyed that conversation. We didn't, as ever, we never feel with people like him that we've had quite enough time, so yeah. ironically, in the circumstances, so we're going to try and get him back. Yes, I think we should, and it's just such a interesting perspective, isn't it, that you don't hear often enough. And just when he reels off some of those statistics, I mean, the £47.50 that you're given when you leave I, prison. Yeah, I mean, it's not, well, I think he said it had gone up to 80. But so what? So, I think you can, might, would you be able to get one night in a Premier Inn? Not really, not not in the centre of a city. No. no, and and why? You know, one night. Oh, well, no, it's hopeless. I mean, it doesn't do anything. But anyway, um, so let's go to some of your emails very briefly because there've been some interesting ones. This is from Mary, who said, "I went into the women's section of a Canadian jail every month for ten years when I lived in Ottawa." The purpose was to hold an AA meeting for the women who were there. Now, over the decade, I met all sorts of women. Sometimes I felt very sad as a result of the stories, sometimes the opposite. Over the years, the prison did improve as the Ontario government changed ministers of corrections. There were more guards who were better trained and understood the value of treating visitors with respect. But the cells were overcrowded, with many women sleeping on a mattress on the floor of the cell. There were very few programmes to educate or to incorporate healthy living styles. They watched too much TV and had virtually no exercise. The meals weren't nutritious or appealing. However, many of them said that they were glad they were there. At least they got shelter, food and, most importantly, safety. Many of them had been sex workers and they were at least away from the freezing cold Canadian winter and, more importantly, perhaps, away from their pimps. Canada doesn't really have much to boast about in this department, says Mary. So that's interesting because we do we do tend to think about Britain as being dreadful, but um, maybe not uh, entirely uh, terrible compared to the rest of the world. Uh, Louise says, I work for the local government in healthcare IT in California. I'm actually from Britain. A couple of my colleagues are responsible for the detention services health documentation. Of course, we've got no NHS here, so the local government picks up all the healthcare bills for inmates. If you're sick and poor, you get better healthcare in prison than outside, and free healthcare for pregnant women inmates too, and that's not a given in America. Don't get me started on taking away abortion rights, then expecting you to pay all the obstetrics bills. God, I hadn't thought about that. God, it genuinely hadn't crossed my mind. So you have to, you have to carry on with the pregnancy. And then you have to, it's incredible. Uh, here, male prisoners may be called upon or forced to fight wildfires. They're paid a token wage. However, on release, they can never become firefighters as they have a criminal record. Right. Mm. OK, I mean, that's, that's quite remarkable. Uh, this is from Ellie, who says, I'm glad you're talking about prison. I've just decided to start mentoring at my local jail in Brixton. I'm currently going through the application process and last week that involved going on a visit to the prison to meet some of the current mentees. I'm 28 with no experience at all of prison, so I was a bit nervous, but it was incredible. The prisoners were so interesting, telling us their stories and asking thoughtful questions about why we wanted to be mentors. Some of them were making the most of their time in prison, either using the time to reflect, getting involved in work and education or as a life saving opportunity to get off drugs. I left feeling so inspired and excited. 
Uh, thank you for that. And the best of luck, Ellie, with your plan to become a mentor. And finally, Rita is in Mallorca. I spent many years teaching yoga and meditation in Palmer Prison, having studied for this with the Prison Phoenix Trust. Entrance through nine locked doors, but once inside, it's like a dual world with gardens and so on. Prisoners were brought from different cell blocks by friendly prison officers, but then we were left alone. The class were mostly men, different nationalities, occasionally somebody from England, and I never felt anything but friendship between us. I don't know what crimes they'd committed, and I didn't want to, but while I was with them, they were just people. I really enjoyed the classes, and I had very appreciative feedback. I don't know how this compares to English prisons. Well, uh, I'm here to tell you, Rita, I don't think you'd be allowed to teach yoga and meditation in most British prisons to male prisoners. I tell you what, if anybody is really interested but I could in the be wrong subject, there. just have a really, really quick basic Google search about uh, the Norwegian prison system, uh, which Chris Atkins referred to in his interview, because it is remarkable what they've managed to achieve. You know, there are different... Uh, there's a different demographic, there's a different size of society, all those kind of things. You can never make a direct comparison, uh, but they have just managed to completely change the way the system is regarded in society. Mm. And it's funny, isn't it, because they've made it so much more comfortable for prisoners, but the prisoners still don't want to go back into prison. So what Chris was saying about here, life on the outside being so dreadful that you do want to go back into somewhere like Wandsworth, yeah. which is a to, terrible place to, to be. Christmas. Yes, yeah. locked up probably 23 hours a day. Uh, you know, it's, it's worth educating ourselves about it, actually, because something has to change in this country. We can't carry on filling up the prisons and not investing in those prisons well, too. A couple of weeks ago, um, prisons had officially reached crisis point. There were only 432 places left in the whole country. Right. Okay. Um, and I don't know what's happened to that story since. It seems to have gone away. Well, I suppose other things have taken over, haven't well, they? Yeah. So yeah. There was some politics in this country this week. Uh, so if you're popping up to HR, could you get me a low-level patch and some oestrogen gel? <laughs> that would be very kind. Join us all again next week. It's Jane and Fee at Times.Radio. Our guests next week are wonderful, including the magical Spangly Anton Dubeck. Oh, yes. Real name, Tony Beak. No, I, I refuse to believe that. I think he's rather an interesting man. I did do, I did meet him very briefly once. He won't remember, so that's all right. We didn't dance, but who knows what what's going to happen next week. I'm looking forward to that very much indeed. Have a lovely weekend, everybody. Thank you for listening to this, and take care of yourselves. There's a note of surprise in your voice, though. This is good stuff. <laughs> I might give it a listen myself. <laughs> you should try it. Take care. Bye. You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings, otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We miss the modesty class. <laughs> our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man, it's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock, Monday until Thursday, every week, and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day, as well as a genuinely interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects. Thank you for bearing with us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon.
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com